Did you ever know someone who is famous for one thing, but secretly really, really good at something completely different? It's not a total secret that Bunny Williams is such an avid gardener, but she's just a tad more famous for interior design. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. I'm Leslie Harris, and today we're going to be talking with Bunny Williams about gardens. Right now, we're holding a giveaway for Bunny's book on gardening. Like her books on interiors, it's very inspiring with fabulous photographs and great ideas. So here's how you would enter to get this book. It's called On Garden Style, and this giveaway is going on until Sunday the 15th. All you have to do is go to Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH. Find a post about Bunny that I did this week. Like the post. Comment about what you like about gardening tag somebody who loves bunny or the podcast or gardening or anybody who you think might be interested and not annoyed by your tag, and you will be entered to win her book on garden style. And you could even give yourself more chances by subscribing to my newsletter. You can do that with a link in my bio on Instagram or sending me a direct message on Instagram of somebody that you think should be on the show. That'll get you three entries. Oh, subscribing to my newsletter will get you three entries. You could enter this five times, have five times the chance of winning by leaving a review of Into the Garden with Leslie on Apple Podcasts. Oh my gosh, so exciting. All right, so if you hear this on Saturday or Sunday when it's a brand new podcast, get on Instagram and enter the giveaway for Bunny Williams's book. How are my listeners? I'm back from vacation. I've been gardening up a storm. But this time of year just isn't as exciting as most. We got the watering, we got the weeding, we got the watering and the weeding. And things are so dry, although we did get some rain this week. I was so excited. Um, but there aren't actually that many weeds. I'm trying to take my own advice from last week, and I actually planted up some vegetable seeds. I did a pink radicchio and some lettuce. We have not had germination yet, but it's only been 48 hours. Hope springs eternal, even for the most pathetic veg gardener which I am. This week I did a really fun thing after I was completely dirty and needed a shower very much. I dealt with my kitchen garbage, which I compost. Someday, you lucky listeners, I'm going to do an entire episode on compost, but just to let you know what I do, everything from the kitchen goes into sealable plastic tubs. And those things, after they accumulate in the garage, I used to store them outside, but some animals decided that that was a great thing for them. So now I store them in the garage and every once in a while when I feel so dirty anyway, I put them into my tumbler with some copies of the Wall Street Journal and I tumble them up and then I eventually add them to my big compost pile. So that's a great, really smelly job that I got done. Hope you've been doing better things than that in your garden. I had a couple of guests this week, um, some relatives dropped in, my wonderful niece and my cousin, and I was walking around the garden with them, and I was like feeling sort of glum about how the garden looked, although, you know, it's not tragic or anything, but it's hard to have a garden look good in August. And actually, next week's podcast, we'll be talking about gardening in August and how to maintain your enthusiasm and, and how to keep it looking as good as possible. If your garden looks really, really good right now, I am so impressed, or you live in a much more forgiving climate than I do, or maybe it's just that good and you should get a medal. I don't know. It's hard to have a good looking garden in August. It just is. Let's move on to the plant of the week. I gave you a hint of it last week. I chose the Lobelia syphilitica with the unfortunate species name. Um, so let's just call it the great blue Lobelia. It's an 
herbaceous perennial. Again, that's the type that dies down in winter. It grows about one or two feet tall. It can grow in zones four through nine. So basically anywhere in the United States, except the extreme tall bits of Maine and Michigan, and then extreme low down in Florida. It's blue, but as we know, that's garden speak for purple. So many plants are called blue when they're actually really purple. Has tubular blooms, less than an inch, and it attracts bees, butterflies, hummingbirds. You know, they like that tubular scene. It's really hardy. It's easy. It's short-lived, but it will self-sow if it's in a place that it likes. And it doesn't have any serious pests. Deer don't seem to bother it, bunnies. It likes wet wood, so it grows naturally in marshes or meadows. I think it's actually toxic to deer and rabbits, but I've seen deer and rabbits eat things that they're really not supposed to eat, so you never know. It makes a good cut flower. And just the general cheer for my garden when not tons more is going on. It blooms now. It also, you know, it blooms as early as July, August, September, October. So if you have a garden that sort of peters out at this time of year, maybe it's a plant that you want to look into. And it's an easy share plant. You can buy it in a nursery, but find a friend who has some. It's one of those ones that I would happily share with you. And in fact, I think I'm going to share it more around my own garden with that mountain mint that I talked about a week or two ago. I think they would make a really good combination, purple and silver. Oh, and it blooms in shade. It blooms a bit better in sun, but it does bloom in shade. All right, so that's the great blue lobelia or the lobelia syphilitica. Oh, some people might grow the lobelia cardinalis, which has really a lot of the same attributes that I just talked about, including loving moisture, but it's red. And as you know, I'm not too brave about red in my garden. I like blue better, even when blue is purple. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. Coming up, we'll be talking with Bunny Williams about, well, gardens and gardening. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie, broadcasting on News Radio WINA. I'm Leslie Harris, and we're talking with Bunny Williams, who needs no introduction in the world of interior design. We are very privileged to have her visit with us about gardens, her gardens, other people's gardens that have inspired her, and the actual gardening part, which I know she loves and she does but I'm not quite sure how she has time. Hi, Bunny. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking me. I, there's nothing I love more than talking about gardens. I, me too, which is why I, which is why I do this podcast. So you grew up in this town of Charlottesville. Tell me about how that might have influenced your garden taste and your gardening in general. I grew up and we lived out on the Garth Road. Uh, my mother was a passionate gardener. Um, and I think when you're little and you, have a big vegetable garden and cutting flowers and you pick peas and bring it back and you get to cook the, you know, eat the food that you're cooking. There's something, you know, you either fall in love with it or you don't. And um, mommy loved to do flowers and, you know, we had a porch that morning glories were growing up and it, it was just sort of things that we did together. And I used to go with my mother and her sisters often to the um, Virginia, you know, when the garden tours were open and I would be taken along. So it was just, I, I just love flowers and I love being outside and I love, I love farming in a way. I mean, I'd love to farm. I love dirt. Do you, how are your nails? Mine are pretty terrible. How are your fingernails? Um, so good. Um, <laughs> my poor manicurist goes, oh, shakes her head. And I said, please try. And actually, I'm not a glove person. I, I put them on and then they go off pretty soon. I yeah, just, I, I, you yeah. got to get the feel for it, right? I found a pair that I really like and I can feel things, but for years, yeah, and the, and the damage is done. So um, <laughs> so you, your garden is so shared and so photographed. 
Um, are there parts of it that you love to work in the most or be in the most or that you're most proud of? You know, the gardens is now it's grown. It's pretty huge. Um, you know, and it's, uh, I think that I probably spend the most amount of time in the vegetable cutting garden because you're working. I mean, you're picking the tomatoes, you're picking beans, you're staking. So it, it takes constant care. And it's like anything that takes constant care, you give it a lot of attention. And, um, you know, the, the borders sort of take care of themselves. I mean, they have to be staked and deadheaded and, um, and then the woodland garden is very natural. So uh, I love to walk through it. But I think the time, the hours that when I do have time to garden, it's pretty much in the, in the, in the vegetable garden. It's vegetables and cutting. And I love doing flowers. And I noticed that you have a great amount of ornamentals in your vegetable garden to help. Is that companion planting or is that just the way you like it to look? It's the way I like it to look. Yeah. But, you know, I've always been inspired, you know, by the, the French um, cottages where, where they're very organized and, you know, it's sort of the design part of it. So I love rows and I love texture. And so we spend a lot of time laying out the garden and then um, it's fun to have, you know, things to grow peas on, making uh, stands and things that can support uh, climbing plants. So it's growing things, but it's also very controlled in a design way. Yes, it's funny. Um, my daughter, who will come up later in this interview because she gifted me um, your books, she said one of the best lines in this book is if you said, if you're looking for somebody to help you plot out on graph paper what you should do in your garden, this is the wrong book. Right. <laughs> but you do that a little bit for your vegetable garden. Is that correct? Yeah, because it's the, 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 the shape is decided. I mean, my whole garden, the plant, I mean, I'm not a professional garden designer. Um, and as I talk about, you know, talk about in the book, I started with the land I have and I don't have just a flat piece of property. I had, um, I had one flat area that was off to the left side of the house. And that's where my very first garden was, where I put in two 40 foot long perennial borders. And I, I, I looked at the space. We had to do a stone retaining wall to make a kind of a room. And I do go back constantly to garden rooms. And the reason I believe in garden rooms is that it focuses you in a space. My very first garden that I ever had, I, I knew nothing about gardening. And I ordered a garden from Wayside Nursery. And they sold you a plan and all the plants. And all you had to do was big, big bed and plant the plants according to their plan. Well, I did that. I, it was not in this house. It was in another house. And by July, you've never seen such big plants in your life. I mean, it was the biggest thing you'd ever seen. And I thought, oh, I really have a green thumb. And I only learned later from our landlord, we were renting this little cottage, that I put this garden in the middle of what was an old cow pasture. So it was the richest soil, probably pure manure. And so everything was growing like crazy. But I realized by the end of it, it was ugly. I mean, it was just a bunch of flowers in a bed with no design, no, you know, it had no soul. And I really believe that that's why there's such a relationship between design and gardening. And you've got to get the design right. So I started, I made an, a, a long rectangular area. You walk down steps, there was a stone wall, and I sort of enclosed it. I put lattice 
sense behind the perennial borders, and I made you in an enclosed space, a fairly large enclosed space, but I put these two borders, and that was my first garden, and it's changed a lot since then. As I mean, that's the fun it. of it, right? If it's not changing, we'll never get bored as gardeners. Right. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. We are talking with Bunny Williams about her garden and gardens in general. So in your book, On Garden Style, and I'll put it in the show note where people can get that, by the way, um, you mentioned influence from garden travel. Could you name two or three? I love to travel and look at gardens. I'm very lucky. My husband golfs. We go someplace. He sets up his tea time. I, he finds me a garden. So can you name two or three that have influenced you or that are your favorites? Well, what's what's interesting, we, we I have a group of, of friends who um, we've traveled probably four or five times together. Um, and we all get together and decide, well, we're going to go to France or we're going to go to England or going to go to Italy, whatever. And one of um, the borders, actually, where I was talking about, where I had my two perennial borders, when I went to Normandy and I saw a garden of Russell Pages, who's one of my great heroes, I looked at it and I said, this is what I need to do to this garden. So I came back from the trip and I called up the a wonderful man who does a lot of stonework for me. And I said, dig up all this grass. I'm going to put in six beds. They're going to be bordered in box. And all of a sudden, that garden, which I didn't really love, I mean, it was okay, is absolutely magic. I mean, we spent every afternoon when we were there, late in the afternoon, I go down there with a glass of wine, the butterflies, the dogs are running around, and it's just become something special. So he was a great influence. We then, on the back of the house, which again was a, a, a rather boring lawn, we were in looking at, um, again, this trip in Belgium, of the gardens of uh, Jacques Verts. And it, it, they're very, Belgium, it, Belgium is so flat. So these gardens are often about berms and hedges and grasses. And I saw these shaped hedges. And so I came back and planted this incredible U hedge, which is, it's all spirals and shapes. Um, it's taken about seven years for it to fill out. Um, and of course, in England, you know, Sissinghurst is the, you know, Mecca that everybody goes to and there are reasons because it's simply extraordinary. It's amazing. And talk about garden rooms. I mean, those are real and rooms. Hate, so, and, you know, you see that in, in England so much. It's because about garden rooms. And again, I think your property tells you what to do. I had this woodland area up on a hill and I started developing that. And it's a room, but it's natural and wild and trying to look like the natural wood floor, which it's not, but you try to make it look like that. Exactly. Uh, just just uh, influencing nature, but letting nature influence you. Um, when you go to visit a garden, and I'm going to go, I'm lucky enough to be going up to Booth Bay Harbor um, this weekend, and I'm going to go visit the Maine Coastal Botanical, which I've heard is fantastic. Anyway, when you go, because you are, even though you're not a professionally, you know, trained designer, you are, you are very knowledgeable about gardens. So when you go to visit a new one, whether it's a public or a private, do you prepare in any way by talking to the owner or reading up on it, or do you just let it wash over you? No, we do. I do my homework. If I'm going to go someplace, I really do a lot of research about what gardens are there. What can I see? When we go to Europe, we have a stepdaughter of my great friend, Paige Dickey, who's a great garden writer. And Marie, as we, I got her to start a business of organizing garden tours. 
So she'll do a lot of the research. If we're going to go to Italy, we kind of pick an area, do the research of the gardens we'd like to see. And then she calls ahead because a lot of gardens you want to see today are private. But if they're passionate gardeners, they're, they're happy to open it often, but you've got to make those arrangements. Exactly. We so do our homework. I do too. I think that's the best way to do it. How important do you think um, garden ornament is? We're talking containers, pergolas, statuary. You have some beautiful photographs in your book. What's your, you know what what's I love your... about ornament is that it's, to me, the animate and the inanimate. I think that when you have an ornament in a garden, your eye goes to it, and then you begin to look at what's around it. So I don't like too much ornament. I mean, mine is spaced you know, around the garden. I think sometimes people can make it look like Disneyland with too much ornamentation. So one has to be restrained. I do a lot of container planning. And I've always thought to myself, if I didn't have the property I have, I would just garden in containers because you can make bouquets, you can make little mini borders, you can do anything um, creatively. And you, you know, if you have a smaller area, container gardening gives you a lot of opportunities. So when you walk around our garden, the terrace has got big pots of agapanthus and, you know, I've got big oil jars in the middle of the parterre. It gives it structure and, you know, it's sort of an anchor. So I, I, I love garden ornament. I do too. I, and I, it's fun to go shopping for. Um, this is Into the Garden with Leslie and we're talking on News Radio WINA. We're talking with Bunny Williams, which is such a treat in our in itself um but the, the topic of course is gardening so i want to talk about your gardening book and i'll put a link in the show notes as to how to purchase it it's called on garden style i got a big treat last weekend my daughter came to visit she brought me a 1998 copy that she had um and then she gifted me the 2015 edition and i be- i basically read them concurrently and i was struck by two things one of them a, a lot did not change and i think that's uh, a testament to the, you know, the classic style that you have and the timelessness and, and how you hold those values close to, that it, you know, that it shouldn't be trendy. Um, but it's also fascinating that you added a whole section on your views of the perfect lawn. Uh, that did change quite a bit from the earlier edition. And can you tell us about your evolution there? And also at the same time, could you brainwash my husband and all others out there who are a slave to a perfect lawn? The thing that's interesting is I would say, you know, I've owned this house for 38 years. And, you know, I probably started gardening 37 of the years, you know, years ago. And I was naive about a lot of things, including the environment. And once you begin to understand and really take your, number one, your health and the environment seriously, you don't want to use chemicals. You don't want to get sick from chemicals. I mean, if you really start reading about it, you kind of start first with these things are bad for us. <laughs> I mean, it, they cause, they're carcinogenic. They can cause cancer. I don't want to be breathing this in. I don't want my dogs running around in a lawn filled with chemicals. Um, and so you start reading about it and you become, well, this is, I take this seriously. So we are now a completely organic garden. And one of the things that if you want that perfect lawn, you people use chemicals on it. We don't. I do too. First of all, I reduce the amount of lawn I have probably by two thirds. We mow in front of the house. We mow a clean area behind the house. I mow up the driveway so it looks neat. 
but I've let um, I let a lot of it come into higher grass. And the thing about higher grass is that it's pretty. I mean, I started, we we really went to fields and I planted Queen Anne's lace in it. Right now it's so beautiful, you can't believe it. So I think we need have to get out of this whole thing that we need a million acres of lawn. The other thing is you, you don't want to keep mowing it uh, low because the grass should be longer because it holds the dew and it holds moisture in the morning. So it doesn't get burnt out in a heat wave. And if you absolutely have to, there are organic weed killers. You know, my whole view came from, from my health in the environment. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to have my husband listen to this. Um, I'm, I don't have any chemicals in the garden at all, but there's this lawn and he cherishes it. And for some reason he wants that look. Um, anyway, but in terms of getting back to the garden or, you know, gardening organically. So that means that you welcome pests if they're there. I mean, we're not going to say, Oh, goody, more Japanese beetles, but, um, you just deal with that naturally. Deal with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, you know, my roses will get eaten up. You deal with it. I yeah. can't. Um, you know, we try to use, I mean, our biggest problem actually, funny enough, has not been, um, bugs. It's moles and voles and things eating the roots. And I don't know, there's the population really seems to be growing, but, um, you need a fox. Yes. Well, I need, I need my terrier dog to become a terrier instead of a lab dog. <laughs> I know my dog is basically a person wearing fur. It's just, yeah. I have the same yeah. problem. <laughs> I mean, they chase the squirrels right up the tree, but they certainly are not going to go get it. Oh, well, you're, that's an improvement because Jenny just lounges on a chair. So, all right. I have one more for you. And it's such a basic, but I just, I think that people out there might want to know what, what are your favorite flowers? And, and it's funny to hear you as an evolution of a gardener. And I was the same way for me at the beginning. It was all about flowers. And then it became more about prepositions, big trees, spaces, ornament. Um, but still, I love the flowers. What are your favorites? I love a lot of flowers. So, but I guess I, I have one that I absolutely adore that is, let me say it's an evasive flower. In my woodland garden, there's something called an Oberbada peony, and it's a species peonies. It's what the peonies in the, were found in the Himalayas that they brought and domesticated and bred into the big fancy peonies that we see. But they're a peony in the peony family, and they bloom in the woodland in the spring. And early in the spring, there's this white blossom that is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen with like tissue paper leaves. But I, you really have to go when it's in bloom and look at it for a day because it may, the rain may come and it may disappear. But it's so magical when it blooms. And then in the fall, right now they're making seeds. And by late September, the, the seed pod pops open and it's purple and magenta. And if you have a natural space, the birds take the seeds and they scatter them through the woods. So the first plants I bought, I mean, they cost, they're very expensive because it, they, the nursery said it takes three years for it to bloom from seed. But now the birds have carried it through the woodland. So I'm, I'm very blessed that they've made it so I don't have to buy any more. So that's one of my favorite. Flowers. I'm with you on that. I just, I just started this. This was my first spring with them. I did go for the expensive guys and I got a few blooms and I have those little red seeds. I'm so excited. It, I mean, it's just something that is weird. And the other thing I happen to love is I adore passion flowers and I grow them in the conservatory. I grow them in containers outside and they're, they're a trellis up around uh, arches and 
in what was an old carriage house. When you look at a passion flower, if you're not spiritual, you will become spiritual. The way that flower opens, the detail of it. Thornton, who was the great illustrator, you know, painted the passion flower. And it's just one of those things that there are many varieties of them. I try to buy them in and grow a lot of them. But they just, I look at it and I cannot believe. They're so complex, aren't they? And and yet they're they're native to this country. They're yes. they're awesome plants. I just can you um, do you have to bring them in for winter up where you are in Connecticut? Yeah, we and we cut them back, and also I end up um, buying them in in the spring from Landcraft Nursery. Uh, he grows a lot, um, but you yes, I can't grow them year round. And I actually they're a little hard to winter over for uh-huh. us. I'm better off to start with a young plant because they grow like crazy. Yes. Um, and they're all in bloom right now. So usually I do buy them um, from a nursery in the spring. Okay. So great to get those recommendations. Well, that's all the time we have. And I'm sure that's all the time you have. But thank you so much for being on the show, Bunny. Well, so nice to talk to a fellow gardener and a Virginian. So. Oh, absolutely. Oh. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. Next, we'll be talking about what to do in your garden this week. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie. It's time for the playlist. That was really fun to talk to Bunny. I think I learned a lot. And I just want to mention a few more places where you could gain inspiration from her if you don't win the book giveaway. Remember, joining the book giveaway is easy peasy. Just go to Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH. Find any of the posts that I made last week that have to do with Bunny. You'll have a chance at the book by liking any of those posts, commenting on what you love about gardening, tagging somebody who loves Bunny Williams or a podcast or gardening or you think would be interested. And then you can have even more chances to win the giveaway if you were to subscribe to my newsletter and you can find the link in the bio of the Instagram or send me a direct message of somebody who you think should be on the podcast. And for five entries, you can hop on Apple Podcasts and review Into the Garden with Leslie. Oh my gosh, so much work, but you would get a lovely book if you were to win the giveaway. But for more inspiration from Bunny, I bumped into an article on One King's Lane. And if you don't know that site, oh my gosh, that's a place where you can lose a lot of money because they have beautiful things for sale. And they seem to be one of a kind. And I always get caught up in like, but I really need this or my life's not going to be complete. One King's Lane. I'll put a link to an article that had fabulous photographs and tips from Bunny. I think there were like nine tips about gardening. And I thought two of the best ones were always let nature lead which we touched on in our interview just a minute ago, and to experiment a lot. I think that's fabulous advice for any gardener. I just think the best way to go about gardening is to just try things out, see if they work, and if they don't, and if you kill a lot of plants on your road to being a a better gardener, I think you're doing it right. Bunny also has a blog where, again, we're talking mostly interiors. That is what she is, an interior decorator. But there's a whole section on gardening, and I'm going to put a link to that in my show notes also. Questions from listeners. Actually, this is not a question but a tip from my manager of operations here at LH Gardens. Um, That's Abby. I am really bad at pests and plant pathology. Let's add that to the list of things I'm bad at. Let's see, vegetables, tree identification, indoor plants, carrying a purse, lawns. Anyway, spider mites are tiny guys that suck the fluid out of leaves of your plant. Sounds like kind of a bee horror movie-ish sort of strategy. They love dry. And of course, we haven't had a lot of rain here. So 
she was taking care of some of my plants while I was away, and she noticed that they were on a big palm tree and some cute little picea, so she just attacked them with the hose. And that makes so much sense because not only are you making their world all moist, which they don't like, but you can also get rid of their little spider mite spider webs, which gives them no home. And I'm sorry to do that because I, I do like the buggies, but I don't like the ones that are sucking the life out of the leaves of the plants that I like. Apparently, this happens a lot with indoor plants, and you can see on an indoor plant more easily than on an outdoor plant because you just can get closer up, and you'll see a dotted sort of pattern on the leaves where they've sucked the fluid. Oh my gosh, it sounds so ghoulish. Anyway, if it's a tiny little house plant, you can just run it under the sink. But spider mites do not like wet. There's the lesson there. Is your grass turning brown? Do you care? I wish I did, but I don't. Here's the thing with, with lawns. Oh, and by the way, I'm no authority on lawns. We've already established that I'm pretty bad at that. But I have seen that they turn brown at the end of the summer and then if rain starts to come during the fall, they turn back to green and they certainly come back green next spring because they are a perennial plant. So if they go bye-bye early on, I just I just don't fret about that. I'd rather turn my hose to something that I'm much more enamored of and those would be my ornamental plants. But as Bunny said, letting it grow long is really helpful to keeping that moisture in. Oh, and here's just a little tip I'm, I'm hopeful that you have a source for water for, for, you know, the beasties in your yard, whether that's a bird bath or something else. But if you were to add to that something with a very shallow lip, picture that part of the pool that's made for babies and it's like a, a slight incline just going in. That's really good for bugs and bees because if it's a steep incline, they can fall right in and drown. But if it's a shallow incline, they could just take a few steps in, wet their little cute little buggy toes and take a sip. So shallow lip on a water source is a great idea at this time of year. If your annuals are flagging, oh my gosh, I've had such terrible petunias. My favorite type, that purple one with the veining called Bordeaux. I probably have 10 of those all within 20 feet of each other. And only three of them are good. And I have no idea why. This is one of the mysteries of horticulture to me. Anyway, if you're having trouble with your annuals, don't forget you can pinch them for fresh new growth. Don't forget you can feed them for fresh new growth. Don't forget you can give up and go shopping because the prices are coming down at nurseries for their annuals that might have received better care than, for instance, my annuals have gotten this year. And what to listen to on our playlist? I want you to listen to a guy named Paul Tukey. That's a funny name. Paul Tukey, T-U-K-E-Y. And he wrote a book, but you can't listen to it. It's not one of those listening ones. It's called The Organic Lawn Care Manual. Um, but what you can do is you can order it from Amazon. And, they're, you know, it's, it's an old book. You can get used ones. It's very inexpensive. If you're interested in getting your lawn off of chemicals, I really suggest that you tune into this guy because I think he's made it really easy and he's very enthusiastic about it, which always helps to get people going. You can listen to him on a couple of podcasts that I found, and I will put the links in the show notes. One of them is with the guy I've talked about um, a bunch of times, Tom Christopher. The podcast is called Growing a Greener World. And in that one, he talks about this wonderful garden and museum called Glen Rock in Potomac, Maryland. In 2010, they hired him, and he continues to work there. They went cold turkey and took 16 acres of perfect lawn and made it organic. Now, that doesn't mean it looked exactly the same before and after, because they welcome clover, which is a wonderful plant that fixes nitrogen in the soil. And you would learn things like that 
if you listen to that podcast. And there's another one that's on a podcast called Maison Pur, P-U-R, the French word for house and Maison Pur. This is a sustainable living podcast, not a gardening podcast, hosted by Molly Hill. But in this episode, which I'll link, um, she quizzes him all about the book and what he does and this sort of thing. She went for the organic lawn because of her children, as did the people who own Glenrock in Potomac, Maryland. Really good idea if you have dogs and people crawling around on your lawn to not have chemicals. And of course, there's that thing of it, all those chemicals ending up in whatever ocean you live closest to. <sighs> Sorry, not not meaning to preach, just hoping to offer alternatives to chemicals. So this was fun. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out at Instagram. And if you want to join that book giveaway for Bunny Williams's book, you have until, well, you have another few hours if you're listening to this on Saturday or Sunday. At this time of the podcast, I always say, oh, please subscribe or please do this or please do that. I'm asking you to do enough if you want to enter the giveaway, but I always like to hear from my listeners. So please reach out if you want to on my website, lhgardens.com or Instagram. I named the show Into the Garden with Leslie because I am really into my garden. I really enjoy listening to Bunny Williams because she clearly is really into hers. I'll see you next week. 